Hello and welcome to the Leaders in Tech and E-Commerce podcast. I'm your host, Rishit, and I'm also the Regional Director at Elkut Global. I'm responsible for executive search and consulting business in Asia Pacific and Northern America. Our mission is to connect the tech in supply chain and e-commerce ecosystem globally by bringing forward some of the interesting stories about success and failures from leaders in the industry. Today, I'm quite excited to bring my client, very good friend, Lalit Das, founder and CEO of SSS Supply Chain Solutions. Today, we'll be speaking with him on supply chain innovation through SES products. Welcome, Lalit. Thank you very much, Prasid, for giving this opportunity to speak with you and on this channel, what you have given here. No, awesome. Lalit, so let's, let's start quite basic. I mean, we, we really want to know how did the business start? How did you end up starting 3SA? A little bit of your background. Yeah, just kind of really yeah. the creation of 3SE. I know it's been eight, nine years now. So if you can just tell us a little bit about the journey as well. Okay. So I would like to give a brief background of myself before I address the origin and the ideas behind creating 3SE. I primarily grew up in India in a middle-class family, having a graduation in engineering and master's in supply chain operations. Started my professional career in the supply chains planning space with two large manufacturing companies. One is Sony and Honda in the Asia Pacific region. So I worked almost the last 10 years in the service sector, again, in the supply chain and the logistics space space as a vice president for Asia Pacific. I love this supply chain and logistics place and always wanted to solve the complexities of this problem using advanced solvers, technologies available. But it's quite common to note that large corporates and large multinationals always have the rigidity, the lack of flexibility, the usage of data-driven decisions, which is today recognized, but 10 years before the recognition was very, very limited. So the frugal innovation was the only way to fix those problems. So I used to always define 3PL, LLP, 4PL, integrators, all these confusions of the definitions which came from various school of thoughts mm -hmm. yeah. to simplify them into, into as simple as possible for any customers to understand during the journey I was going through for the last 10 years in the Swiss uh, service-based company, catering to the various sectors of high-tech, telecom, FMCG companies and all. So the idea of solving the complex problems, which we always used to make a very traditional all sides, you know, fits to one. So that's what we always push for it. So, however, we always see that they are sustainable, but not on a long term. They do sustain, but they don't sustain for a very long term period. So because the problems are never unearthed, the reason is because the data doesn't speak. And that's what was not been very prevalent, I think, a decade before. Mm. So today, I think that was what I always searched for it. I tried to solve as much as problems using the advanced analytics solvers which were available like r was once used as a simple method for statisticians but today it has been commonly used by every data science would know a r studio so excel was the solver you know and always excel will remain excel yeah. will always remain as a part of the solvers to any part of it so i built up with the thought that you know the supply chain problems i could solve it much simpler by using those, you know, available techniques, which is there. And I embarked upon the journey to create the 3SE organization. So where 
primarily the three S always one stands for sustainability, another was for science driven solutions, and the other is scalable. So these three remains always the pivotal to the entire supply chain. And that's how it was born in October 2012. Well, you have come a long, long way. Now, when, when you started and now, I mean, what is the tech involved? What's the difference, by the way? Let's just kind of give my audience, you know, how much of were you really a tech company back then? And I know now it's completely a tech company, but was it really a tech involved or is it just Excel-based solution back then? So it's a good uh, question to which I'll definitely address with what was the vision when I started <laughs> off. I used to say always they were the most admired supply chain solutions company in those days in 2012. But today, if you ask me, I think I always say that I need to be the most preferred supply chain analytics partner. Mm. I think that metamorphosis, which has gone, the truth behind that is always how we unraveled the data and mm. how we use them into the business and how we capitalize that out to grow. So to look at the technology behind this part of it, I mean, open source technology is today available. And how you exploit that, how you explore that out is depending on what is the capacity you have and how can you build that. So our technologies today, we use all neural networks. So basically the machine learning as a entire set of that part, so we use AI called artificial intelligence neural network. We use convolution neural networks, particularly in the inventory optimization space. We use deep learning, which are typically the reinforcement learning and unsupervised learning. So we typically use them not in a traditional statistical models, but we use them in robotic process automation, which doesn't require you know, more you know, supervisions as a part of it after the model has learned. So the depth and breadth, I think, we covered quite extensively in each areas of supply chain by injecting primarily those technologies, extracting of the data, which is the biggest challenge in the entire supply chain analytics space is how do you extract the data where the datas are residing in the heterogeneity of the datas are residing in various platforms. That's where we played a big role. First is to extract the data, Hmm. Cleansing of the data, which typically you can do a hundred thousand row items in an Excel. You cannot do 10 million row items in an Excel. So we use R, a very simple method to take a R studio and, you know, do the data cleansing. The data cleansing will identify the outliers. There are noise in the data. So you can do the aggregation, disaggregation, composition, decomposition of the data sets are possible through R as a machine learning language or Python as a machine learning language, both of them, you know, can equally, you know, assist to primarily solve a simple, you know, an extensive data which remain. The other area, Pythons are predominantly strong when there is unstructured data, there is orphan data, there are structured data, there are syndicate data. You can, you know, take the heterogeneity of the data, you can always solve those problems by extracting almost all these data in any form in any way then it, it's primarily about the science. What we primarily use the neural networks. So typically, you know, a random boost or XG boost. I mean, it is nothing new where we have been using the same random boost or XG boost is also used in the medical science. You know, if you are primarily going to predict a Parkinson disease or you are actually doing a text prediction 
if you are you know typing in a mobile phone you will see the text is automatically predicting to make a sentence it's it's all about how the you know it understands the behavior understands the background of the data what the person is using for so it's a similar form of the exibost or the random forest what we use in our supply chain planning space where we are doing predicting so the predicting where you can actually predict over a shorter horizon you know history repeats itself you know always there the history repeats again so but if you have covid then you say how do you predict for that part there is no historical data for that but it is possible the even the horizons are less the variables are you know extended so you can always use those machine learning programs which are there the neural networks algos which are available and these are primarily today used across the industry so supply chain was a late user i would always say medical science always used that much little earlier and today i think it has become more prevalent and we become a big differentiator at a very very early stage yeah uh-huh. i think the the supply chain tech is really booming i think many companies are coming up there are a lot of new solutions but you know what what i'm very curious is and maybe it's very specific to 3se as well let's say you get a new client and they're trying your one of your ses products how long does it really take for them to you know you coming in integrating them modifying the the product for them and they able to start seeing the result what's what's that lead time so let me go go back to give you an insight of our product portfolio so okay. today we have got primarily the saas products so one is called uh, demand curve demand curve is a platform which is quite similar to the uh, platforms of other competitive landscape people who are you know using the planning suites immediately so, for forecast accuracy or is it also for forecast accuracy, of forecast accuracy. Okay. okay it's a yeah. it's a part of the entire sales and operation planning yep. which is your demand planning supply planning inventory planning production planning so cool. this entire suite it basically integrated and it gives you a financial planning on the top of it so that's primarily our first product which is called demand curve yep. 4.0 so demand curve is a saas based application so which is primarily you know very user friendly to answer your question on when a customer gets that i think today one of our biggest differentiator is that we have tried to map what a demand planner or a supply planner is thinking to use in his day to day part of his you know life in a planning organization so that's where we have reduced the life cycle of the uh, from input to output by almost 40% so today if you see a product if you take a product within 6 weeks you are ready to you know kick start oh. you know particularly the planning space which unlike these were taking some 18 months you know which was taking and today you are able to do that in two months time there are also equivalent competitors who are there within that space of between three months time because you are using one suite of demand planning and uh, the consensus planning then you may integrate that with your production planning if it is a loosely coupled suite you may integrate that with a inventory planning suite which is both single echelon or multi echelon and you may of course use that as a distribution planning where it optimizes the overall part of the network flow so that's where we play the role but within a 6 months period of time you can actually roll out almost all this demand curve all the suites the second product what we have typically is visilog which is an orchestrated platform we tend a little towards the logistic sector because the logistic sector also the technologies which are used are still traditional majority i'm talking there are also reasonably good you know new age 
technology companies which are using voice recognitions just like connecting to your you know alexa that hey alexa where is my shipment it's it gives you and so they have connected there are certain advanced technologies which are already used in that space but majority of them still the large freight forwarding companies or the large you know multi billion dollar companies they've still not used the newest technologies which would help them to actually rapidly make the changes in uh, the supply chain space so that's an area we have built up a platform which is predominantly built on the solvers so we use both siplex in one instance and the other we have gurobi so where we are trying to solve the network optimization we are trying to solve inventory optimizations we are trying to solve packaging optimizations the route optimization so an interesting insight of route optimization is that i don't know within couple of days before google already released the enterprise version that you can use this enterprise and you can primarily do your entire routing this disrupts extensively those who have done the developments on the routing space but as you know technologies evolve it becomes easier you can actually get the apis you can pull the apis from there i mean there are many you know maps uh, dynamic maps which are available and you can create the products making it more user friendly so that's another area of the differentiator where it is a very ui and ux friendly for users where the users can easily adopt the product called vizilog Mm-hmm. last but not the least product what uh, wanted to cover is the end to end part of the supply chain is on sustainability so sustainability comes of course as a start of our journey so one of the s as i mentioned called sustainability so though we never evolved as today we are in the sustainability space having a software as a service product called carbonex so carbonex is an saas product which primarily has an ability to extract the data from the enterprises where the data for scope 3 only which means you do not produce directly the carbon emissions that is your scope 3 and so your ecosystems like your shipping lines freight forwarders you and if you own your own trucks which is again under your scope 1 so and the scope 2 is like the indirect part which are your buildings which are emitting the carbon emission we predominantly focus on the scope 3 and that is where the carbonex is been designed developed as a part of it with a little extension towards the scope 1 which has got extractions of the data simulating the data and giving you a output of what are the potential levers on which the you know emissions has happened you know whether it is usage of an extensive air shipments whether it is the hot spots in specific warehousing or is it in the packaging area or is it in the planning space and then it primarily gives you a reporting through a dashboard so we typically use power bi which is the microsoft product of the business intelligence and uh, then we have got the levers of how to reduce that so you know one of the levers is doing a better forecasting you are going to reduce the errors of uh, you know, errors wastage, yeah. resulting the errors is you know reducing your wastages yeah. as a part of it and you know expedited freights to reduce your expedited freights so that reduces your carbon emissions the second or third where we have products which we have primarily doing optimization you know it intelligently gives you the input of now ship it by ocean rather than air though shipping it by air and by ocean is a big impact on business because the business would need them in for 48 hours but your you know shipping it by ocean can take you 48 days but that's where your planning engagement comes in because you need to extend your 
planning horizon in such a way. I mean, not all, you know, it cannot just be possible to convert everything which sips by air to ocean, but at least 25%, 50%, the practices you can do. And this is not a change. You can do it in months. It takes a yeah. year. So we are engaged with one of the world's largest energy company, which is almost around $70 billion company across 100 countries with 120 factories emitting half a million carbon dioxide, million tons of carbon dioxide. So we have already reduced last year, which was January 21 to December, 7.5%. Oh, and wow. then this year we are targeting another 10, next year 15. And there is a forecasting and simulation engine which tells you by when will you become carbon neutral. You will be net on that space. So this is a big area on sustainability where we see a lot of demands coming in, whether you, you know it is a responsible procurement. Mm -hmm. Because you need to only go to those logistics providers who are practicing you know sustainability they're using eco-friendly vessels okay. or you know you can use alternate methods that it is a deliveries are made in the night so there is a business engagements where it is the sales teams are involved and there is a supply chain or the logistics organizations are involved and it is a top-down approach so it's a journey i think everybody is going so we use typically the ghg protocol but specifically for logistics we are using the GLSE, which is your Global Logistics Council, and we practice as called SBTI, which is a science-based target initiative. So there we have seen across in the one of the world's largest beverages company of the world. So we are actually working out for them their entire route planning, their network optimizations, their packaging optimizations, and also on the predictive forecasting. So which we have a commitment that we will be able to reduce or make you carbon neutral by 2030. Wow. So that is the engagements where we are now getting involved. And the software basically enables a lot in that space. And also for the company you mentioned, the one of the biggest company you mentioned, uh, where you're helping them end to end, when do they become carbon neutral? Because they look, they're quite big to go carbon neutral by 2030, right? So the initial plan when we did a simulation across that part of it, relating to their entire carbon neutral, but again, I would cover on the scope three, part of it by 2030 they would cover the scope three part of it but then they have scope one they have scope two because it is all relating to finance legal hr manufacturing then you yeah. have an entire ecosystems where there is the iot where you have the telematics so you need to have the entire ecosystems also been equally involved to get to a carbon neutral yeah. as a part of it you need to change your procurement processes you need to change your planning cycle you need to change your human resource practices because people coming to office need to go more to use mobility, shared mobility, rather than using coming only by car to the office. So the change has to happen within and the initiative has to be very, very cohesive and collaborative internally first as a department. So we come in as an external partner to them, predominantly focusing only in the supply chain and the logistics space. So wherever it is relating to a demand planning, what impact can it do? If there are more errors, then you are actually creating extensive logistics spend because you are placing a product which is in Singapore, the demand is sitting in, let's say, in uh, Southeast Asia, in another, in Kuala Lumpur. So, you know, the change that you need to again shift the product where the demand is. So if you are making errors, so you will always, you know, lead to an extra leg of the shipments and you will also go for a lot of obsolescence because the products has got expiries. Then you will have to go to obsolescence. It will go for heavy wastages. So that's an area where we have already acquired 
and how to convert all the emission factors. Because what does it translate to an emission factor is a bigger question which everybody asks that, okay, yeah. we understand all of that. But how do I convert that into a, how much of carbon emission we do? So we, in the logistics, we practice two. One is called distance-based, another is a fuel-based. Fuel-based, you can use the IoT and the sensors, what's the start to the end, what's the fuel consumed, and you just multiply that with the emission factor given by the GHG protocol or the GLSE, you know, we practice what we do. The similar way we have done it in the planning space as well. So, so we are evolving. Yeah. I would say we are definitely one of the forerunners in the global market, specifically in the supply chain and the logistics space. So where we are trying to at least help them and become a responsible company ourselves to support as much as possible to our customers. No, I think sustainability is a great topic right now. And I think rightfully it should be, right? So I, I love this. I love this product of yours. A little bit, a quick question on the demand curve. What industry have you been seeing mostly using it right now? Demand curve more predominantly is used in the CPG because they have the most complex supply chain because the echelon of their entire network. So it starts from a manufacturer to a distributors. The distributor can go to the next level of his large format outlets. Uh, it has a modern trade. It has an omni-channel, whether it is an e-commerce. It has got a dealer networks. So that entire chain gets more and more complex because the demand aggregation becomes one challenge when it moves up, you know, bottom up, you roll that out or you do a top-down approach. So FMCG, you know, out of the CPG is one of the most prominent one. Second will be FM EG companies, the electrical and uh, yep. the consumer durable. So because the SKU are very huge. And one interesting example I can give you on one of the world's largest, again, FMCG company, what we do for the ANZ market specifically, the SKUs, every year the FMCG people will go on adding more and more SKUs. An example could be like a toothpaste. So the, the variants of the toothpaste, the brass, they will go on adding to keep the competitions away. But in the journey, if you look at a five-year horizon, the number of SKU added year on year is 288%. And they just contribute only 1% of their revenue. This is a status which we validated. We use the Gartner report and we validated with the data sets which was given. It was very interesting. So that's where we run another program on this space, which is called SKU rationalization, SKU optimization, and a what-if model. Because that is where exactly you can cut down your long tail, the tail end part of it, you can cut down, which just contributes 1%. So that occupies space, that occupies your logistics spend more, because you are using more containers. If you are going to do you know, 80% of your SKU, which is only contributing 20%, you can cut down those which could be potentially possible for them to see and without impacting your competitive landscape. So that's, again, you know, translates a lot on the sustainability space. So this is what we see in the FMCG sectors, EG sectors, the durables are very, very demanding in that space. Now, e-commerce has come in as a part of it, but then they always, you know, typically is done in-house, you know, whether it is the Amazons of the world, they all do it in-house so that's it's a very behavioral part of what the human behaviors um, you know what you consume the data sets of that and then you create your models across here we try to solve typically an enterprise problem but for the well-known markets do you, do you were you i mean are you still able to give them forecast accuracy because you know sometimes well 
markets where you already have 75 to 80% forecast accuracy, do you, are you still able to come in and kind of give them still the stretch of extra 5%? Yeah. You so, still see that? yeah. Yes, we do have a commitment of the deployment of the demand curve 4.0 to commit between 5 to uh, 10%. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what we commit. But we have actually seen between 7.5% to 15% improvement of forecast technology because number. always everybody will say okay this is very easy to say but what is where are you measuring that the forecast accuracy is measured you know typically at a you know sku and channel so we do at the lowest granularity level mm-hmm. so where you know it is not at an aggregated level on the top of it because then the numbers are quite good but yeah. the more you go granular at each dfu demand forecasting unit yeah. level so you will see the forecasting becomes very, very challenging because that's the errors will be more and more. So we always give a commitment at the you know granular level of the forecasting accuracy, which is between 5 to 10%. Because the resultant of 5 to 10%, like one of the world's largest lighting company, so we basically, which is almost a 7 billion euro, and improvement of 1% for 1% of that forecast accuracy primarily, you know, typically results in five areas. One, yeah. you will have reduction in lost sales. You will definitely reduce your lost sales. You will reduce your working capital. You will reduce your expedited freight. You would basically, you know, increase primarily your service levels okay, because yeah. you're doing a better fulfillment and out of which your top line will increase and your overall logistics spend will go down. So and sustainability. Correct. At the yeah. end of the day, anything on relating to cost when you are reducing, there is always an impact yeah. which... If you are really focusing on sustainability, your cost also is going to reduce to a certain extent, except if you are going to invest a lot on the infrastructures, because if you are going to move it to electric vehicles, then yeah. you need to have charging station in your plants, in your factories, because if the trucks are uh, or the carriers are going to come there, you need in that space. So coming back to the questions where you raised about the forecast accuracy space. So we have typically, you know, given... Uh, between, as I said, between seven and a half to 15%. So where we have seen about the similar lighting company, which I broadly explained, 0.85% impact on their gross margin, which was an equivalent to 23.5 million euro savings, which was impacted on that part. On the top line, we created almost 0.4, so which was around 14 million euro. But again, It's very difficult to quantify how much do you impact on the top line because it could be a reason that they drop the price, the sales will go up because it is inversely proportional. So the similar way, it could be also the product enhancement you did due to quality, it could go. So we normally don't claim for that, but we definitely claim what typically our demand curve 4.0 solves the problems in the area. So they solve typically successor predecessors, master data management, auto cleansing. So using from typical time series regression machine learning. So we have, you know, the machine learning definitely gives you lesser errors. So which means you have your accuracy are much better. And so the combinations of all of the three, so which primarily is an auto fit model and uh, where we have an ensemble technique, which is a 16 plus models, which are there. So that significantly impacts to the improvement of that forecast accuracy. And uh, we have a patent, we have almost six patents which are registered in Netherlands because that's where the headquarters is today. Yeah. Interesting. Just on a little bit kind of 
talking more on the demand curve because I, I genuinely think it's one of the best products and there are very few companies who are actually doing this globally. And I genuinely see your company kind of booming. But how much, how much of uh, manpower is needed to kind of get the data structured for things to be, because, because I know a lot of companies I've worked with who comes to me who wants to hire data scientists, background, demand leaders. There are not many, by the way, so... <laughs> and, uh, you know, and the, the biggest problem, these candidates would go and ask them, okay, you know, how is your data managed so far? They're like, oh, yeah, we have a lot of data. None of them is structured, not cleaned. How do you take that data? How do you kind of work with those companies and then still give them result or commit a result that, okay, you know, six months down the line, I'm going to give you some kind of accuracy, even 5%, which I feel it's still not possible. I would not say not possible. I mean, it's still possible. You need a lot of manpower. So how do you support that? I mean, do you need a lot of manpower to get that data structured? Or how do you deal with those companies who doesn't have structured data? So let me tell you how we take the approach. And then probably you can, you know, get your estimate to a guesstimate, part of it to see what's the number of people required. So we typically try to address from EDM, enterprise data management. So that's, we have another portfolio of a product called Prism, which mm -hmm. primarily helps to basically extract the data using ETL, puts that into a data lake. So that's the first step, what we try to do in that form, because this is the most important part is garbage in is garbage out. Even if your ML technique, which is the most advanced one you use, still it will not be able to give you the right accuracy of the data as a part. The second step, what we typically try to do is that our connectors are quite powerful to extract the data from any ERPs, whether SAP, whether Oracle, whether PRMS, or whether it is JDA, you can name them so we can extract any part of the data to our data lake by using ETL technique. So that's when we do that, then we use an ML technique to primarily look at the data cleansing as a part of it. Now, data cleansing does not need people because it's again ML based. Mm -hmm. So you are able to process the data. The computation time are very, very less. So there it does not going to consume the time as a part of it. But when you do your mapping of our product to the processes, so that is where we bring in people, what we call consultants, analysts, and data scientists. So that there is offering what we make to the customer, what we call analytics as a service, basically to make the sales and operation people to be more aligned with our team. So we have a deployment, which is on-site and off-site, you know, team which is particularly deployed. Behind that team, so we have primarily an OR team, the product team, the technology team. So they are behind as a part of it from the delivery centers. So where we have one large delivery center, which is in uh, Netherlands, in Amsterdam, one we have uh, in Pune, in India, and one we have in uh, the national capital region of India, Gurugram. So the next one is what we intend to now come out in Singapore in this year. So where we are going to build up uh, ASDC called Analytics Solution and Delivery Center. So getting back to the questions of the people required. So here, basically, there is one set of people which is going to be required as a part of it. But they are typically not large in numbers, irrespective of mm. they can run multiple customers at the same time. It is not necessarily they need to be dedicatedly to be for one customer. You need to have the consultants, the analysts as a part of it. The rest, what I spoke about, the entire product structures, which are there, you have the solution architects, you have the data architects, you have the OR team, which are solving, let's say, the production solvers of Gurobi, they're using that. So you may have, you know, 
the team which is behind that you know they can solve n number of customers at the same time as a part of it so they run the programs so they are more at the shared environment at the back end where is a big pool of more than 150 data scientists we have mm-hmm. so we, we are able to at different levels different competencies they carry and then you are able to primarily you know roll out your products with the configurations which is required so we configure so there is a technology team which primarily helps and supports to configure and you are able to roll that out within the six months period of time you know the entire integrated business planning suite so the value creation starts uh, within the first poc level because we normally ask them as a standard way we ask them first and foremost you give us your 33 months of data don't give us give us 36 Hmm. but 35th 30 uh, 34 35 and 36 that three months our model will forecast and you can and see then your actual related, sales. Yeah. Yeah. you can see your actual sales versus what my model is forecasting right. if it is better which i promised then i should be awarded the contract you know or i should be yeah. processed through the procurement processes so that's how we have actually won through the journey more than 30 odd customers multi-million dollar contracts multi-year contracts we actually built up over this period of time yeah. but how, how did you how did you do, do this now with the code because the forecast accuracy how how did you get that right like how, how are you kind of calculating the pre-covid and post-covid because i'm assuming that past data didn't really immediately help right yeah so past data during covid of course we shortened all the horizon of the mm-hmm planning cycle because it is very simple that if i ask you today it is sunny tomorrow potentially right. you will have sunny not a storm yeah. but if i ask yeah. you 10 days later so you will see a ch- it is difficult to predict so right. longer is the horizon it is difficult to predict in a very conventional way but when you look at our data science as a part of it so what we did is during the covid period we shortened the planning cycles as much as possible and then we have primarily imputed almost all the data historical data part of it. We use the behavioral data, what was continuously changing. People were switching more towards the e-commerce channel of the sales and rather than a conventional channel of the sales, which is through a large distributor as a part of it. So that's where we played the role. What were the larger impacts was not on this side, but the supply constraints, because that's where the production challenges comes in. So our digital control tower, which uh, I think in the world, we are the second or the third one who created a planning control tower, which is all about demand planning, your supply planning, your production planning, your replenishment planning. So if you see this entire part of the synchronization, which happens across, so we were the one who were using continuously the data and were feeding it back. So it was almost like you are analyzing the data, you are again, you know, running the models and then you are actually giving the feedback even to a production that you need to switch from two shift to one shift, or you may switch from first shift to the second shift if there are spikes in specific home care products, because which were more consumed during the pandemic phase. I think that we grew almost, as I said, uh, you know, our CAGR was almost 46%. We had almost 12 customers in 12 months during pandemic. The best period was during pandemic. I think everybody wanted to go digital. Everybody wanted to, you know, depend least on the human resource than to move on to some form of automation. So whether you call digitalization or automation, they are very synonymous to each other and that's what i think propelled a significant amount of growth to a lot of new age analytics companies like us you know everybody would have grown I, I i do not know so much about the others until those who have come under ipo but it was 
others i'm sure they would have grown as we would have grown in the space so the during pandemic it helped us a lot so today we primarily take this outlier of the pandemic sales you know you know strict lockdown we categorize them under various categories of the strict lockdown the zonal areas the cantonment areas depending on geographies depending on markets and uh, we primarily were affected on the supply side of that part because the supply side yeah. was a very very large challenge so we had to increase you know the inventory levels to meet the service levels so the inventory level were taken upward to meet all the mitigations on the service side so everybody were actually doing optimization in the early days optimization always results to cost reduction but i think post pandemic as it happened or during pandemic i think everybody moved out to start building more of the inventory so from a traditional linear model so they moved into now conventional you know science driven supply chain models okay last question before i promise last question on demand planning if a company basically wants to implement ibp and they are heavily excel based never you worked on sap apo how long does it take for really you know to get your um your product in their business for them to start seeing it so basically i think it's a journey so i think within 3 months time as i would see they would see the first product because somebody who has been completely dependent on excel mm. we go to the basic version so we have three versions of demand curve 4.0 we have a mm. basic pro and enterprise so the basic version will be typical from an excel based which are they are typically doing everything outside the excel mm. we help them to do that through our collaborative demand portal and demand curve so which is an integrated platform so where they can actually do the statistical forecast you know using any of these methods so which is could be a halt winter and these are all auto fit so you don't have to choose that which model would work the best for a specific sku so that they anyway were doing it in a, yeah. in an excel based they were looking at and then they were pushing the data to their erps so the first basic version can help a lot the second on the pro as you mature further a little more you start getting into the modeling playing the external data factors you know as a part of it whether a weather condition can impact your sales you know a per capita income can impact the sales and i always say that donald twitter ronald sorry trump basically donald trump primarily you know tweeted and then morning you see the stock market is very different so that impacts are also you know we started catching the sentiment analysis because we have new product introductions wow. which is basically take the family data of the new product and it the behavioral data the consumption which was had happened on the similar family data and then it is able to process those things so this will help a lot for those who are at a very very early stage in the heavy excel based part and beauty about it is that it is it's a cloud based application it can bolt on to your erp just like uh, you know an extended excel but with an advanced part of it so it is not an extra but it's a you won't feel a big difference between this to that from a user perspective but the engine behind is quite powerful to help you to get you more outputs towards that in the demand planning space yeah awesome but let let switch gears let's get less technical but more kind of you know your personal opinion and one of them is you know i think lot of i think youngsters who have finished their education now have kind of two choices right go into startup start something of their own or you know work with this corporate what would you suggest what what is your kind of suggestion advice where should they be going see i have to be selfish first they should go to all the startups then to the large <laughs> corporates because they bring a lot of value yeah. i think that today's new education system which is uh, more 
user friendly or more industry focused i think they create a significant value to the industry unlike in the past until unless you got management degrees phd degrees then you come in to a lot of large research and development companies so the youngsters typically i think you know focus primarily on various areas to to what they feel is the best so it's difficult to give a generic uh, give a very specific you know suggestion but i think an overall part i think the future in the analytics space is very very wide there is a heavy demand but there is less supply so anybody would jump into have a good learning in the analytics space because they can jump into an healthcare area they can go to fintech they can go to supply chain i mean so the it is agnostic so and you can create an excellent career in that space because it is not only you know getting a job at the in the first instance but it is all about you enjoy that out because you also you know you are one of the user you know where you need everything what i say always the metamorphosis of the truth that everybody needs informations in the fingertip then they would always ask for that you know i need a collaborative outlook which i can send a message that i should get it immediately because they are very they don't have patience so that's why i think i always say that analytics is a great area and it has got a brilliant future and all the technology companies either in the startup or the corporates those who have started practicing there are huge opportunities in this space and and i i think the demand will one day you know definitely meet the supply also or the reverse the supply will meet the demand one day and you know within 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 3sc what are the soft skills which you look for while hiring professionals at any level so typically i mean at entry level to of course at the senior level there are different skill sets which uh, any organization would do but for an entry level we typically prefer people with a very logical reasoning you know there's a the first point what we try to always see because if they have got a lateral thought and a problem solving ability i think for them the learning becomes very fast yeah. because that's the first and foremost part what we look at and at a senior leadership of course it's all about the skills which they carry the leadership qualities which they carry across worked in a larger environment and i always say that the startups are always the grinding platform the reason is because what you learn in a corporate in 10 years you will learn that in 3 years in a startup because the speed at which it operates the learning at the magnitude of the learning what you have and the depth and the breadth of the learning goes it takes you 10 years in a corporate and here it will take you 3 years so so basically we look at the leadership team also somebody who would have worked in startups as well you know those who have an ability to scale you know the organizations from let's say 100 to 1000 is something where you know the real challenge comes in you know 0 to 100 i think the promoters the founding members all of them you know put together but then the next stage is where the leaders come in in the startups you know the c suites gets in yeah. so that's where we look at uh, that they should have undergone and but and but last but not the least is that they should have experienced one failure at least because the learning there is no learning from success but there is enough learning from failures and that's what if you learn i mean you can always remain resilient i'm i'm going to use this quotes by the way on my linkedin and kind of give you your name of course and kind of promote you by the way i love that quote thanks for sharing 
one quick question on the culture. I mean, you know, I think now you're getting very global, right? You started in India, then you expanded Netherlands. Now Netherlands is is the country like a headquarters. Now you do a lot of work in Europe, and now we are working together to get you up and running in Singapore. What's the culture? You know, have you, is there a defined culture within the company? I mean, culture is what sets in what everybody practices, and I think the leadership brings in. Hmm. So typically, we all—it's a very open culture here. So because today's organizations are very lean, it's not a very hierarchy that you have got ten hierarchies, and hmm. so I think to define that open culture, you know what we call him that act like a owner. So you know every resource we always encourage that you should fail fast so that you can scale fast. The other what we always talk about in the culture that you should think big, or you should go home. You know, uh, we give them those broader lines that at least you know you can always become the owner of yourself, take the responsibility, and you should fail also. We encourage that you should fail because the learning is rock solid if you have failed, and that would help us to succeed. Secondly, in a startup. you know you are very visible yeah you know you are anything you do it's very recognizable because unlike a large corporate so that's another area what we always you know promote you know an openness and last but not the least the culture is that you can always challenge any leadership if you do not have the ability to challenge any leaders uh, i think uh, the culture is not fit for growth we always say that if you have an ability to tell to the ceo or to the founder that i believe and this is my strong conviction that this is wrong mm. and you know that's what we encourage people because then the other is that our leadership also builds up the you know the receptiveness they also grow with that you know giving that hearing aid to somebody who has taken up the guts and spoken so that culture i think has evolved over the time and we encourage a lot yeah i think radical candor uh, that's one of the kind of culture which gave worth i think 10 15 years back where you know the people for them to be successful they expected their employees all you have to be is honest and all you have to be is confrontational can you do these two things if you can then you know we are going to grow together so i think that's a great culture to have in the company you know let's let's end this year and you know just before we end would love if you can kind of talk to my audience directly If there's something you want to share about, you know, three S C or about you, you know, this is a your stage. Take it over. Okay, so so broadly, I would love to speak about the organization as a, a nine-year-old setup. What we did, built up from a bootstrap, scaled that to a global level today, build a very resilient product in the planning space. So our vision is to be the most admired. you know supply chain analytics company would be coming true soon because i think nobody would say that i have achieved the vision 100% so there is somewhere we would have achieved at least uh, half the journey we would have definitely covered as a part so we are committed to the career progressions of every part every resource or every audience who is hearing who will become or get a chance to become a part of 3ac we would you know encourage them first and foremost to primarily believe in the products believe in the organizations and uh, the trust which is a very very mutual mutual but it's very important to know what do you want to achieve in the life so 3ac gives a platform 
to everyone. I mean, who has that passion? So who has primarily his conviction and his determinations to drive that part? So we say that we don't give you here a career, but we give you a life, you know, what you want to really achieve in your life. So with that, I think the future of supply chain, as we broadly believe that what is going to evolve in the journey of whether it is a digital twin, whether it is a circular economy, or whether it is a blockchain or immersive experience of you know the augmented reality or the virtual reality. This future of the supply chain is all what we want to build. And so I would strongly encourage the audience to participate in all our forums wherever we participate and be a part of it. You will always get something to take away from you. A learning, I would definitely say with, a, with my conviction as a founder and the CEO of the company that there is always a takeaway of a learning from 3 years. Yeah. Awesome. Alit, again, thank you so much. Really appreciate the time and all the knowledge you've been sharing. I, th- I think we genuinely had a great discussion around, you know, I sometimes like going, getting more technical because, you know, I'm always curious about few products. So, you know, thank you for answering all my questions. Thank you very much. Thanks again, your channel. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For all the show notes and information discussed in the episode, please follow Elcott Global slash podcast. Also, if you found this interesting, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or any of the podcast platform. We are looking forward to your feedback. Thank you so much.